That's Genesis 2, chapter, verses 1 to 3, which can be found on page 2 of the Church Bibles. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The question we're asking this evening is, what is the point of it all? What am I searching for? What are you? What am I looking for? Unless we're unbelievably unobservant, we know we're living in a restless world. We're all aiming for some sort of peace or fulfillment. We're all looking for rest. And some people go to extreme lengths to find it. That is what is ultimately behind the attempts to change gender, isn't it? When Ellen Page transitions to Elliot Page and was put on the front of Time magazine, the headline quotation was this, I'm fully who I am. Well, one of the saddest front covers I've ever seen was the December issue of the New York magazine. It was a picture of a journalist who had recently transitioned. She was in her underwear and her, leaving her thigh visible, which had a large chunk of flesh grafted out of it. And the headline quotation said this, I don't need a penis to be a man, but I needed one to be myself. What these women are expressing is that they felt restless living as women, but after they transitioned, they had found rest in perceived bodily coherence. They felt truly who they were. They were willing to go to extreme lengths to find that rest, to find themselves living in the body they thought was theirs. They can begin to live the life they really wanted to live to the full. Others are willing to take extreme measures in pursuit of their career, um, and go for goals in their career because they think success in that arena will give them rest, maximizing their life, letting them live their lives to the full, often sacrificing marriages and families on the altar of their career. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we see what we really are searching for, actually what we're made for, and that is cosmic coherence. That is life with our creator, Augustine's famous quotation that uses the Bible concept of rest is a true summary that has stood the test of time. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Seventh day rest is the foundational picture of salvation in the Bible that all others build upon. So if we don't properly understand seventh day rest, we'll have a small view of salvation and a small minded view of what Jesus does. Now, the seventh day rest is really the Super Bowl of creation. I was surprised and somewhat impressed by the amount of you that said you were watching the Super Bowl last week. I hope you weren't disappointed. It was a great game, I think. Now, in the NFL, the regular season, uh, the first 17 games are good, but they really set the table for the playoffs, which are very good. Um, but really, the climax is the Super Bowl. And that's the point of the whole thing. And in Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 2, verse 3, the seventh day is presented as the Super Bowl. Really, the creation account is the creation of the seventh day. Moses structures his whole account to underline this for us. 
The first sentence in chapter one in Hebrew, I am told, has seven words. There are seven paragraphs. God saw that it was good seven times. The key terms are all multiples of seven. For example, God is mentioned 35 times. The seventh day is the unambiguous goal of creation. And the number seven in the Bible comes to me associated with completion, perfection, and something just as God intended it to be. Last week, if we were here, we saw on the sixth day, humanity was the crown of creation, but the seventh day is the climax. Humanity was the pinnacle, but the seventh day is the purpose. The seventh day is the Super Bowl. And first, we're going to see that the seventh day goal of creation is all about life with God. In Genesis uh, 2, 1 to 3, we see that the work God has finished and what he has rested from is carefully defined. Have a think about what that is as we read those verses again. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God finished his work in creation. He rested from his work in creation. The narrative problem of chapter one, verse two has been solved. The cosmos has gone from formless and void to formed and filled, from uninhabitable to very good for habitation, from the Wahhabi desert to Whipsnade Zoo. So God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. But what does God's resting mean? Well, the first thing it means is that God was there, simply. He rested, or he took up his residence in creation on the seventh day. When Moses would later go on to build the tabernacle, which is a sort of doll's house model of creation, or actually broken creation, as distance from God and the need for atonement is built into it, that whole process is described in a way that deliberately mimics the creation of the cosmos. And the account ends in the same way. It says in Exodus chapter 40, verse 33, Moses finished the work. And then immediately in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The finished work of the model of creation resulted in God resting himself there, just as the finished work of the real creation ended up with God resting himself there. This is also how the remainder of the Bible understands God's rest. For example, in Psalm 132, God says, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Where God rests is where God dwells, where he makes himself especially known. When God finished his work of creation, he rested on the Sabbath. In Genesis 3, that's pictured as God walking in the garden. But being present and resting in the Bible is not a Saturday morning stroll or a sofa Netflix binge. It is about when things have resolved and been settled down and getting on with the normal operation of things. Later in Deuteronomy, Moses talks about rest like this. He says, God gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in peace. Rest means you can get on with life. In the case of Genesis 2, the formlessness and voidness 
has been resolved and running the world in normal operations is what God gets on to do. It isn't deism, God's disengagement from responsibilities after creation, but engagement without obstacles. God's rest on the Sabbath is a bit like the president taking up his residence in the White House. The work of winning the election is over, but the work of governing has just begun. As Joe Biden tweeted on the 20th of January 2021, inauguration day, now the real work begins, folks. On the seventh day, God gets on with the purposes for which he created creation for. And we saw those on the sixth day, and we saw what they were then. It was all about prospering of life for his glory. And amazingly, he does that in partnership with humanity. Under his command and in relationship with him, he placed man in creation to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with his image. But he haven't had much opportunity to do that yet. And the seventh day is a starting gun for that activity. It lights the touch paper of God's governing program for the world. And I think we need to notice one very important difference between day one to six and day seven, apart from the lack of creating. What do you think is the next most noticeable omission from day seven? Have a look down for a moment. Well, surely it's the lack of evening and morning. The seventh day is set up as an everlasting day. This is a day that creation was made for, for life with God forever. Looking forward then into the rest of chapter two, we see narrated the start of human history. We see the continuation of the seventh day. God and man in the garden, beginning the great human project of ruling and subduing, bearing fruit and multiplying on the earth. We'll save much of that for next week, apart from one detail that's worth mentioning. In chapter 2, verse 8, and chapter 2, verse 15, we read that God put or placed man in the garden. But the second word for put used there in verse 15 is different from the first. And the difference is worth noting because it could be translated restfully placed. It's the same word that Moses uses later to describe God's seventh day rest. And in verse 15, the man wasn't restfully placed in the garden just to put his feet up in a deck chair. He's restfully placed in verse 15 to work and to keep the garden. Seventh day rest begins the great partnership between God and man that he has set up. Uh, to bring glory to himself on the earth. That is what seventh day rest is all about. It is about joying life with our creator, the way he intended us to live it. The Bible says that's the rest we're all looking for. God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. You won't find it truly anywhere else. Now, we know that the Sabbath day rest was shattered by human rebellion. It separated man from God and made life with God, as it was meant to be, impossible, actually destabilizing all of creation. And in one sense, the rest of the Bible is about waiting for God's rescue back into seventh day rest. And it's in that context um, what became known as the Sabbath day uh, was brought about, which was a special day as a symbol of that rest, the word Sabbath being taken from the word rest in our verses. And we first hear about it in Exodus 16 in the Bible, 
the Israelites were to rest from their work for one day a week in symbolic remembrance of God resting from his creation. Then in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we learn more about it. In Deuteronomy, there is an analogy drawn between the six days of work and the Israelites' time of slavery in Egypt. And this time, God adds this instruction. He says in verse 15, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath. The seventh day rest is paralleled with the seventh day rescue. There is a fundamental continuity between the two. Rest was about life with God, and God rescuing his people was about rescuing them for life with him. The goal of creating humankind to start with and the goal of creating the nation of Israel uh, was the same, that they would enjoy life with God, bearing fruit and multiplying for his glory. Now, we don't have time to do a big history of Israel's rest, but in short, they never reached their potential. God gave Israel pockets of rest, but when things got good, they collectively abandoned God and they were plunged back into restlessness again. And it's just worth seeing that as we reach the later prophets in the Bible, the focus of the Sabbath has shifted from a future hope to a future hope beyond the Old Testament. The Sabbath became a picture of hopeful, perfect life with God that he'd bring about in the future, like it was at the beginning. The prophet Isaiah looks forward to this new creation, which God himself will bring to fix and restore the restless world. He says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. The point is that every day will be like a Sabbath day. Every day will be like Genesis 2, 1 to 3. There will be an everlasting seventh day existence once again. The Sabbath hope and the Old Testament leaves us with is the Sabbath of a symbolic shadow of the future that is to come. So when we reach the New Testament, uh, we see quite an extraordinary thing, that the rest, life with God, that people have been waiting for, is found in the person of Jesus. It becomes life with Jesus. Famously, as we've heard already this uh, this evening, Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now we know that rest is pregnant with meaning, not just because of how it's used in the Old Testament, but because what Jesus goes on to do next. Um, On the Sabbath, Jesus' disciples are accused of breaking the Sabbath law by picking heads of grain. Now, many of us will be familiar with that passage from studying it in RML Mark, and I'm I'm sorry um, for the next minute or so if you haven't uh, done that recently. But I think that Bible study reveals something uh, in some of us of our instinctive Pharisee-likeness It reveals our small-mindedness sometimes about the salvation Jesus is bringing. It certainly revealed my small-mindedness in the past. And I don't know if you can remember your study from this year or or recent years, but I've been in plenty where people get het up about the minutiae of the law, whether the disciples were really breaking the law on the Sabbath or not by picking heads of grain. 
even saying sometimes that Jesus is being a bit harsh in what he says. Um, but when we read the Gospels, the question is, are we joking? Jesus has been going around Galilee performing life-giving miracles, um, the hope of God. And we're stuck in, in the law library. Jesus could get in a legal dispute here, but he doesn't. He ends the confrontation by saying he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath day is standing in their midst. He is bringing about the true rest that the Sabbath pointed towards. And then he proves it again. He goes into the synagogue and he does an archetypal Sabbath worth of God. He restores a man's withered hand with a word, restoring the image of God in him and giving him life. Jesus is the one finally bringing about God's Sabbath rest, bringing restored life with God, and not just for little me, but for the whole world. The point is made just as clearly in John's Gospel, where Jesus is shown to be the one bringing about full-blooded life that the Sabbath rest pointed towards. John frames his Gospel in creation, starting like Genesis with these words, in the beginning. And Jesus is presented as the great seventh-day fulfillment. In the first week of John's Gospel, just for example, he is the seventh man the woman meets at the well, who lays down the seventh water jar at his feet. He meets her at the sixth hour and tells her there's an hour come and is now here, the seventh hour, when you will worship in spirit and truth. He heals the centurion's son at the seventh hour. And on the Sabbath day, in chapter 5, verse 8, he performs another life-giving Sabbath miracle, healing the lame man. John couldn't do much more to show us that this guy, this Jesus, is here to fulfill all the Sabbath was pointing towards. Jesus goes on on the Sabbath day to say that my father is working until now, and I am working. This is the new creation work of God remaking and restoring creation to its intended purposes. Three times he says he'll finish or complete the work his father has given him to do. And he accomplishes it in his great seventh sign, his lifting up, his death and resurrection, ultimately to the right hand of God. And here's a bit of a spoiler for the RML Mark Cross weekend coming up next week. The crucifixion narrative in John begins in the garden. At the sixth hour, the man, the king, is brought before Pilate. And on the cross, Jesus cries out in language reminiscent of Genesis 2, it is finished. Through his death on the cross, he completed or accomplished the new creation work of his father. In the first creation, the obstacle to life um, was in the in inhabitability of the world. In the new creation work of the cross, the obstacles that have to be overcome for true life include our sin, satisfying God's wrath, and Satan. But because of Jesus' finished new creation work on the cross in John 19, in John 20, we start a new creation week. In the garden with Jesus, the new gardener, who is risen to indestructible life, in his death and resurrection, then, Jesus has made possible life with him for us, showing even now, as we wait for the full new creation, spiritually, we are back in the garden on the seventh day. From then on, life with Jesus, every day is a Sabbath day. Every day is a spiritual Super Bowl, 
because every day we can live life with him. And if we know Jesus, that's quite something, isn't it? Um, I don't know what stands out for you uh, today of knowing the rest that Jesus brings. Or if you're not following Jesus here this evening, why not ask the person next to you afterwards what stands out for them? But forgiveness, just for example, is a big thing, isn't it? Knowing you're forgiven, knowing that I'm forgiven, given what I've said and done and the way I've treated Jesus, um, knowing I'm forgiven um, does bring a remarkable peace no matter what I face day to day. There's many, many other things, but life with Jesus now uh, does bring real rest. And there is another striking parallel between the seventh day finished work of God in Genesis 2 and the finished work of Jesus in the Gospels. Now rest is achieved. Meaningful, lasting work in partnership with him uh, can begin. So just like God finished work in creation was only really the beginning of humanity's partnership with him in his great project. So Jesus' finished new creation work is only the beginning of our ability to partner him in his new creation project. If your Bible's still open, please turn to John chapter 20, verse 19. I think that's on page 1093. 1093. John chapter 20, verse 19. Um, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So as God breathed creation life into the first man in the garden, Jesus breathes new creation life into his disciples. And he empowers them to do his work. The forgiveness or non-forgiveness is as a result of what he sends his apostles to do in verse 21. He sends the apostles into the world to preach the gospel about him. And it's how people respond to the gospel um, is how they stand forgiven or unforgiven. And if we trust in Jesus, we also have his spirit and we can partner with him as we seek to share the gospel words of the apostles with others today. That is seventh day new creation work and it can happen every day. And that's what many of us are planning to do next week, isn't it? We heard from Amber and Julio earlier. Uh, With our feeble efforts to share something about Jesus in the counting house down the road or in our front rooms or whatever it is, Um, we're praying friends would respond to the gospel and want to find out more. Rest now looks like life with Jesus, um, with his presence, in partnership with him, with the potential of being part of his new creation project, um, which will last forever. 
Now, all of us will be aware that we haven't reached the fullness of new creation rest yet. Living in this world, uh, we see much suffering and pain and turmoil. And living as uh, new creation people in the old creation is not easy either. It's full of dangers and difficulties and distractions. But there is a rest that still remains, um, which we've been singing and hearing about this evening. When Jesus will return and wrap up history and bring in the new creation of the cosmos, a world without sin and sickness and suffering, where Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. And everyone who's received rest from him in this life will have that perfected in the next. That is the great work of God in the world. And as we conclude, I just want to challenge two small-minded views we can have of Seventh-day rest. And the first small-minded view is of the Sabbath. When we fail to understand that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and that he brings about the Sabbath rest, and that the Sabbath day was a symbol of, uh, we can end up treating the Sabbath like the Pharisees, a set of rules to obey to please God. But Jesus, um, with him, we have already begun seventh-day life. I don't see any evidence in the New Testament that we're to observe a Sabbath like the Israelites did. Now, you would be stupid not to have a day off. Uh, and while work is still toil, um, there is wisdom in taking physical rest. But the true rest that the Sabbath was all about... Uh, rescue and life with God has been achieved. Some Christians are convinced they are to still observe a Sabbath, and some of them are close friends of mine, and I live uh, peaceably uh, with them. But if they were to insist on me or other Christians keeping a Sabbath, then that becomes problematic. Paul says in Colossians 2 uh, to the Colossians, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Whatever we think about keeping the symbol, the substance belongs to Jesus. The Sabbath is about the life he brings, life with him. And if we insist on it, uh, keeping it as a religious ritual today, we are being small-minded about Jesus, um, as the Pharisees were. The second is a small-minded view of the rest that is to come. And that's definitely something I can fall foul of. It is a view of heaven which is depicted in the Netflix program, The Good Place. Um, please don't hate me, this is going to be a massive spoiler. Uh, Eleanor is the main character. And after death, she finds herself in a heaven-like place called The Good Place. And she gets on pretty well there for four seasons. But at the end of season four, uh, in short, she reaches contentment. She's achieved everything she dreamt of achieving, and she decides to cease to exist. She sort of commits a heavenly suicide. Now, that is a very small-minded view of heaven because it's a very small-minded view of Jesus and his creation. If we just think about what we know about Jesus, what he's done for us, and all that he's made in the world, the immensity of it, the depth of it, the richness of it, the staggering places and people it would take lifetimes to see and experience just in this creation. Well, how much more amazing will it be in the perfected new creation with him? It will be more than our little pea brains can ever imagine. The goal of creation 
is perfected life with Jesus and it'll be well worth the wait. Let me listen in prayer. Our Father, thank you for making us and this world so that we could know and enjoy you. And thank you that even though we've wrecked everything, you've made a way through Jesus, we can rest with you forever. Please help us not to have a small-minded view of the salvation you bring, but strengthen us to keep going as we see how great a salvation it is. Amen.